Well, good evening, everybody. I'm Justin Rosso, and welcome to this episode of the Next Step Podcast, where we help you take a next step. This is Season 4, Episode 11, and it's also part of our Facebook Live Delight book reading. I've been reading this book, Delight, Discipleship as the Adventure of Loving and Being Loved. And over the last two nights, we've read the first two-thirds or so of uh, Chapter 8, I'm My Beloved's. And my beloved is mine. We've been exploring some of that Song of Solomon imagery when it comes to desirable delight. The Hebrew word for that is kephets. And uh, that, that desirable delight that Jesus feels for us and that he invites us also then to feel for him. This mutual delight is an important concept throughout scripture. So thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, let me go ahead and get started. I am on page 126. Uh, let's see, any updates for you today? Uh, pretty sunset at the lake. Uh, it was cool again today. Uh, not too rainy. That was nice. Naomi is doing better. She's puffed up a little bit like a chipmunk after her oral surgery. Got all four wisdom teeth out, but she's doing well. And the update on uh, great Aunt Elva, who I turns out is 96, year, 96 years old. Hi, Aunt Elva. Uh, and Elva was up out of her bed and, and in her walker and took a few steps today after her hip surgery. So she's doing better. Naomi's doing better. Life is good. We're here together. Uh, so glad to have you with us uh, tonight. Let's begin on page 126. I'm going to read just a couple of paragraphs before the section that begins, The Friends, We Will Seek Him With You. So we've been talking about quotes from the Song of Solomon and how that uh, relates to our relationship with God and then also to each other. So we had uh, the the groom who says, you are altogether beautiful, my, you, are, you are beautiful, my darling, you are altogether beautiful. The bride who says, uh, I am... My beloved's and my beloved is mine, or I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. And tonight we get to talk about the friends who in the Song of Solomon say, we will seek him with you. So backing up just a couple paragraphs. The bride's confidence doesn't come from what everyone at the wedding feast thinks of her. The bride's confidence doesn't come from her own evaluation of her dress or her hair. The bride's confidence comes from the promise of the groom. Because he says and believes, you are beautiful, my darling. You are altogether beautiful. She can believe it too. That confidence gives her the right to boast. I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. Jesus says to you, and he actually means it. He actually believes it. He actually wants you to believe it. You. You are beautiful, my darling. You are altogether beautiful. The friends, we will seek him with you. The bride says with confidence, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Her confidence flows from the bridegroom, from what he says about her. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. And her confidence gets a little help from her friends. When I think of the Song of Solomon, of course I think of the bride, and of course I think of the bridegroom, but sometimes I forget other characters also play a role in this story. Friends of the bride and groom, the best man and maid of honor, and the whole wedding party there to help celebrate the big day. And these friends say to the bride, Where has your beloved turned that we may seek him with you? 
That's Song of Solomon 6, verse 1. It's similar to the situation when, at the reception, the groom has stepped outside, and the bride is like, hey, where'd he go? They're, they're clinking the glasses. And the maid of honor says, oh, I know where he is. Come on, I'll take you to him. It's sort of like that. Only this is a Middle Eastern wedding reception from around 300 decades ago. So they have different rules and different customs and different timelines and different ways of celebrating. In this case, there seems to be what amounts to a game of hide-and-seek during a week-long party. Or something like that. The details are somewhat obscured by time and culture. What is clear is this. The groom is absent and the bride is on the hunt for him. And in that context, their mutual friends say to the bride, Where'd he take off to now? We want to help you look for him. We want to seek him with you. We want to help you find the one who delights in being found by you. You see, the groom isn't hiding because he doesn't want the bride to find him. Because he does. He can't wait to be found by her. And the friends are there to help make that happen. When Miriam and I got married, we each chose a maid of honor. My sister stood by my side, and Miriam's sister stood by her side. We also chose a best man, a mutual friend, who had been part of our relationship before we even started dating. Those important people were committed to us. They celebrated with us. They nurtured our relationship and promised to keep nurturing it. Our relationship would not have been the same without them. So it was natural when our sisters chose the attendants for their weddings that I would stand for my sister and Miriam would stand for hers. Miriam was the bride at one wedding and the matron of honor at another. I think something is like that. Something, I think something like that is going on in this song, at least as it applies to individuals as well as the church. Though one sheep and the whole flock. Remember we talked about that perspective we are saved as individuals and loved as individuals, but we're also always saved into a community and as a community, individual and group. I think something like that is going on in this song, at least as it applies to individuals as well as to the church, the one sheep and the whole flock. Recall that the various cultures we find represented in the Bible share a view of community that makes it amazing good news for God to love and save not only a people group together as a group, but unique individuals as individuals. In contrast, most of our contemporary culture, most of our contemporary cultures are so individualistic that we can sometimes miss the fact that God loves and saves not only unique individuals, but individuals as part of a community. This both and is good news and more good news. God loves you, singular, and God loves y'all. Or as my Texas friends would say, when they really meant community, all y'all. As we look through the lens of the Song of Solomon to see our relationship with God and Jesus Christ, we get both a you and an all y'all perspective. You, as a unique individual, are cherished by Jesus as if you were his one and only. And you, as part of a community, are the church and the church as a community of believers is the bride, the bride of Christ. You and all y'all. All of which means you get to be the bride and matron of honor. You get the joy of knowing you are individually loved and cherished, 
And you get the joy of being the friend of the bride who helps her seek and find the groom. The bride's joy is of one kind, the best man's is another, and you get both. Although you as an individual are loved and saved, you are never loved and saved as an individual. You're always loved and saved as and into a community. You've been given the gift and blessing of a wedding party designed by God to help you seek and find your beloved. You get to play the part of the friend who says, Where is has your beloved gone? We will help you look for him. We'll keep searching until we find him. I think I heard him over there. Let's go see. You. And all y'all. So this image of Jesus and his love for individuals is also an image of Christ and his love for the church. After a wonderfully exhaustive inspection, the group gives the groom gives this verdict to the church as a whole. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. What a beautiful expression of delight. And that comprehensive delight gives me a window into what Jesus thinks about the church. I don't know about you, but when I imagine Jesus saying something to the church, I know, like, you are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. I run into the same problem I had when Jesus was talking to me personally. My immediate knee-jerk response to that expression of divine delight in the church as a community of believers is usually, yeah, right. I mean, come on, Jesus. I know what my church is like. I know the sin and the failure and the doubt and the shame that still clings to us. When I'm not disappointed or disgusted with our lack of faith and faithfulness, I am probably either ignoring it entirely or feeling somewhat self-satisfied. As David said, everyone has turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. As Isaiah pointed out, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Jesus says he delights in the church, but I know us too well to think we are beautiful. And yet, the church is also the bride of Christ, altogether beautiful. The place where I find friends who love me and relentlessly point me back to Jesus and his love for me. Already now, the church is the beautiful bride ahead of the new creation because her Jesus is present with her. Already now, and working in and through her. And the church is not yet the beautiful bride she will be. When the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven from God, as John says, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, in Revelation 21, verse 2. Part of our calling as the friends of the bride is to help each other keep a firm grasp of both sides of that already but not yet equation. We need each other. The bride, already and not yet. A couple summers ago, I found myself on a leather couch in a ranch house overlooking the Rocky Mountains. Lounging on chairs and couches accented with denim and other Westham decor, like antlers, other presenters for the gathering that would start the next afternoon had formed a rough circle. 
We'd all been invited to come out a day early to talk and share and worship and pray. That kind of openness and engagement was a mark of this particular event every year, and I leapt at the chance to participate. I was sitting next to Miriam on my left, and on my right was one of the other speakers, Idalette McVicker, an amazing woman, leader, author, and presenter who was on her way to becoming a friend. As the group talked, Idalette shared an image that moved me deeply. The scene came from an experience she had while in Taipei, Taiwan. She was covering a story for the China Post on the Garden of Hope, a nonprofit combating human trafficking in the practice of taking child brides. As part of a press conference, they set up a dramatic representation of their mission to reach girls caught in a cycle of sexual abuse, sexual exploitation, and domestic violence. A young woman was dressed as a child bride, many of whom are 15 years old or younger. Instead of a pure white, her bridal gown was dirty and torn. She perched on the very edge she perched on the very edge of a high overpass, dangling her adolescent legs over a knot of traffic in the middle of one of the busiest roads in Taipei. You can imagine the noise and the dust and the traffic. You can imagine the sense of imminent and rising danger. The girl was so young and so vulnerable, she didn't belong in that dangerous and precarious position. It was just plain wrong. The wedding dress, a symbol of love and joy and promise, didn't belong on this young girl. The promise for her future was as tattered and stained as that dress that made you want to do something about it. In the wake of Me Too and Church Too movements, but also in the face of all the statistics on violence against women, that image of the child bride dangling over traffic became, for my friend Idolette, a way of thinking about the church. As she put it, I can't help but think that our bride of Christ is wearing a wedding gown that is tattered and torn. She's not safe yet. She's not the beautiful bride she is meant to be. Too many who make up the body of Christ are like that young child bride, violated, abused, a victim of a system that does not protect the vulnerable. But Jesus reminds us of the bride, that one day she will be radiant and beautiful. We have much work to do. I need that image. I need that reminder. I need that sense of urgency, the motivation to make a difference. I need people who will capture my heart with images that remind me real people are being hurt in real ways and somebody has to do something about it. And that somewhat, and at least in part, has to be me. I need to hold on to the fact that the church is not yet the beautiful bride she is meant to be and to receive that image of brokenness as an invitation to action, not to despair. In that same circle of presenters, I shared the image that had captured my mind and heart, the image I also shared with you at the very beginning of this book, a parent, it could be a mom or dad, holding a child up in the air so their faces almost touch and swing that little child around and around until both parent and child are laughing at each other 
and with each other in delight. I remember that was one of the very first times I tried to verbalize that image of delight. I had just begun the initial research on delight vocabulary in the Bible, and I shared some of what I'd discovered about joyful delight and delicious delight and thoughtful delight. I shared some things that make you go wee and some things that make you go wow. And I talked about the intimate and mutual delight of a bridegroom and his bride. I talked about individuals as well as the church as not yet, but already altogether beautiful. I learned that day that as much as I needed Idolette's image of a vulnerable bride to motivate my own heart, my new friend also needed my image of a radiant bride to give her heart peace. She needed that reminder. She needed that sense of delight. She needed to hold on to the fact that the church is already the beautiful bride in whom Christ delights and to receive that image of wholeness as an invitation to trust, not to complacency. We need both. We need the image of the vulnerable bride that moves us to action, and we need the image of the radiant bride that moves us to delight. And we need each other. As friends of the bride, we help each other keep a firm grasp on both sides of that already but not yet equation. <coughs> that was a great, great conversation. I really enjoyed that time. We were at a ranch up in Colorado. The conference was called Simply Jesus. It was organized by Carl Medeiros, and uh, we got to meet some of our really good friends there. Conrad Gempf was one of the speakers uh, every year. He was there every year, and we got to know him in the context of that conference. And I think that year we even brought some people with us, some good friends of ours that were a part of the conference as well. So that was a really special time of trying to explore this idea of delight with some people that kind of weren't from my background or my tribe. Ida Letts, a wonderful woman. Uh, she's kind of got that activist streak. She's an entrepreneur. She's a strong woman of faith. Can kind of be intimidating sometimes, but man, to to in that moment be able to share and to share very vulnerably and be accepted. Uh, I remember how moved I was by what Idolette on my right, what she said about that child bride, and then in return how moved she was when I talked about the delight Jesus has in us. And that was a really cool moment to see how the body of Christ works together with each other. Uh, we've got just one more section here in chapter 8, and then we'll be done. I wanted to welcome somebody as a Next Step patron. So you heard me say yesterday, we follow Jesus better when we follow him together. We say that all the time at Next Step Press, and I invited you to check out what it meant to, to be a Next Step patron, and I provided a link, and... Stephen, thank you. Thanks, my friend, for, for jumping on board and being a part of that. It's really cool to, to see you and Aaron engaging this material and following Jesus with us. And that vote of confidence, you know, that, that regular monthly support just really encourages me and, and enables me to keep doing this. We like to say patrons make it possible. So thanks for being a patron uh, and other people out there. I know I've got other patrons listening tonight. Thank you. Thank you. I've got patrons that are listening after the fact while they're they're working around the house or in the garage. Uh, thank you. 
Thanks for being a patron. When you support Next Step Press, you you help me take a next step following Jesus. And that idea that we can pour into individuals and communities and help them grow into that repeatable process of taking a next step and even delighting in taking a next step following Jesus, that's near and dear to my heart. So thanks, thank you all for your support. Being church to each other is the last section in this chapter. Being church to each other. Because I know the church, the bride of Christ, is not yet perfect the way she's going to be, and yet I also know that the bride of Christ, the church, is his beloved treasure possession, and Jesus delights in her and considers her altogether beautiful. Because I know both of these things at the same time, I don't have to expect from the church, and you don't have to expect from me, that we're going to follow Jesus together perfectly. I can try to help you find the Jesus who delights in being found by you, and I don't have to get hung up on being perfect as I do. I know I'm not going to be a perfect friend of the bride to you. I know I'm a stinking sinner, but we're not really talking about that right now. If I waited until I was sinless, until I tried to help someone follow Jesus, I'd never try to help someone follow Jesus. When I look for someone to help me delight in taking a next step, I don't have to hold them to an impossibly high standard. I know they aren't going to do a perfect job of helping me find the Jesus who delights in being found by me. If I waited to find a a sinless friend before I entered into a relationship that helped me follow Jesus better, I'd never get any help following Jesus. The friend who emailed me about our conversation, you know, the the conversation where I told myself I wasn't going to be a jerk and then I was a jerk and then I told myself being a jerk was fine and I should just forget about it, that conversation. The friend who emailed me didn't have to make sure he got the email exactly right before he sent it. In fact, the email wasn't perfect at all. My friend is a stinking sinner, so of course an email that pointed out someone else's wrong wasn't going to be free from sin. But that's okay. He sent it anyway. Because it's not about being the perfect friend. He was still my best man, pointing me back to the Jesus I had kind of forgotten was looking for me to find him. And when I said, I was wrong, I'm sorry, and I love you, he immediately wrote back, You are completely forgiven and there is no baggage between us. I wasn't a sinless friend. He wasn't a sinless friend. And yet, in being church to each other, we could point one another to Jesus, even though we didn't do it perfectly. That's your role as friend of the bride. You get to be the maid of honor, the best man. You get to help others seek the Jesus who delights in being found by them. You get to say to people in your family and and in your workplace and in your neighborhood, did I just hear the groom's voice? Was that his footstep outside the window? I know you're looking for Jesus, and I know it's hard to see him sometimes, and I'm here to help you find him. I am sold out committed to this. I want to celebrate your relationship with your beloved And I want to strengthen that relationship in any way possible. You two belong together. And I love being your friend. When Miriam and I got married, our family and friends were right there with us. Why did we do that? I think it's because those people belong to our relationship too. 
the people who stood up and made toasts at our reception were important to us. Our relationship with each other as bride and groom, husband and wife, would not have been the same without them. You get the joy of being a maid of honor or best man. You get to point people back to Jesus without expecting perfection from them or from yourself. We aren't going to get this church thing right, but we're going to keep following Jesus together. You'll get your toes stepped on, and you'll step on other people's toes. And you will desperately need Jesus in your faith relationships, just like you desperately need Jesus in every other area of your life. Your calling as a member of the already beautiful but sinful and fallen body of Christ that is the church, your calling is to say to your friends, where is your beloved that we may seek him with you? Your calling as a follower is to fall in love afresh with Jesus. The Jesus who says to you, you are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. With your friends by your side and the promise of your bridegroom ringing in your ears, you get to sing the song of Solomon's bride loud and clear with confidence and joy. Ani le dodi vedodi li. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. I belong to my Jesus and my Jesus belongs to me. What a delight. What a delight. That is the end of chapter 8. You'll see there's some group discussion questions. You might want to check those out. Uh, maybe ask these of some people in your household or your workplace or on a Zoom meeting if you've got some extra time before people show up. There doesn't necessarily have to be a religious conversation. You could ask, uh, oh, here's one. You could ask this third question in kind of any context you wanted to. If you were going to be married to the love of your life next week and cost and time were no issue, where would you hold the service? Where would you hold the reception? Who would be invited and who would make a toast? And then after you've talked about that for a while, you could wonder, how does delight relate to those decisions? Or if you're doing this with people who do know and follow Jesus, you could ask this. This is the second question on the next page. Take a moment in prayer to consider your friendships in the presence of Jesus and in the presence of the Spirit. So prayerfully consider your friendships and ask these two questions. Who in your life could use some help seeking Jesus? Who in your life could use some help seeking the Jesus who delights to be found? And then part two, whose relationship with Jesus can you help sustain or celebrate this week? Whose relationship with Jesus can you help sustain or celebrate? That's cool. I mean, that's what we do, right? We, uh, we celebrate people. We celebrate faith. We celebrate when we see Jesus active in other people's lives. Uh, those are all cool things that we get to do as the body of Christ, as we get to help each other seek the Jesus who loves being found by us. Hey, thanks for joining us tonight for this podcast and Facebook reading. I thought maybe tonight we'd end with this prayer for delight on page 138. Let's make this prayer our closing. Lord Jesus, thank you that I'm yours. 
Thank you for delighting in me, for desiring me, for falling head over heels in love with me. Your tender words of promise have changed my life. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are mine. Pour out your spirit on me so I can delight in you, desire you, and fall head over heels in love with you. Let my words of promise, though often broken, lead me back into a deeper and more intentional relationship with you. Lord Jesus, put people in my life who regularly help me seek you. Strengthen and increase my relationships of faith. Give me opportunity to help others seek after you, Lord, trusting that you delight to be found. Give me the faith to rest in these words. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. Amen. We get to start section three of the book tomorrow night. So I'll see you tomorrow at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. See you next time at Next Step Press.